base hit to right field. Here comes Maven. They're waving him home. Here's a throw from Bruce. Here's the play at the plate. Safe. The Yankees win. They did have a rally in their bones. They come all the way back and win the game five to four. gotta say i am getting awfully comfortable listening to michael k call a walk-off hit a walk-off home run some type of late inning heroic performance by these yankees that are just stunning everybody welcome everybody thanks for tuning in to this newest installment of the big blue pinstripes podcast i am jim buckard i am the host like i said before i this is unbelievable if you don't enjoy this as a yankee fan i can say this over and over again if you're not enjoying this i don't know what you're doing this is unbelievable um, I'm recording this on Monday night. I just finished watching game one of the Yankees Orioles series. Paused the game at 6-3 to three in the seventh inning to put my kids to sleep with no intention of coming back to watch a loss. I knew they were going to win this game. This is They've been doing this for three weeks now. Every time they, they're in the game, if they just remain relatively close, they're going to win. It's just, that's all there is to it. They, I don't know how else to say it. They are going to win. They're as confident as can be. They're playing as well as can be. Everybody's hitting. It's unbelievable. I mean, they're winning despite every single time J-Hap comes on the mound, he fucking sucks and they keep winning. It's unbelievable. But Anyways, before I get into the Yankees, I want to get into something else that happened across the sports world this weekend. For those of you that are listening, probably not a lot of you watch golf, um, but for those of you that know me, I am a big-time fan of the game of golf. I grew up playing my entire life. I played all through high school, college, a little bit of professional um, on a couple mini tours. It's a big part of my life, and I get just as pumped for you know, these big golf tournaments as I do for Yankees and Giants games. This week was a historic performance on, on the PGA Tour. Brooks Kepka, for those of you that don't know, is one of the best players in the world, um, has been on a absolute historic run over the last couple of years, drawing comparisons to Tiger Woods himself, which people don't take lightly. That Those comparisons don't come around often, and when they do, it's it's serious business. I mean, Tiger has put a stamp on this game that will never be touched will never be re- repeated, and Brooks Kepka is doing the best he can for a, a short stint to display some sort of dominance that this, this game has been lacking for the last 10 years as we've awaited the return of Tiger. What he did this week at Bethpage, I don't, for those of you that don't watch golf or don't know that much about golf, Bethpage Black is one of the hardest courses that the guys play on tour. It's one of the hardest courses in the country. Every time they have a tournament there, the, the scores are not very low. The guys have trouble there. The rough is ridiculous. Um, they made the course a little bit easier this time, actually cut down some of the high shit that they used to have, cut down some of the trees, made it a little bit more open. But still, I mean, the winning score was 8-under, which is really high for a professional event, especially a PGA champ. PGA champions usually aren't that difficult. Um, it's not the U.S. Open. It's not an Open Championship. It's the the conditions are a little bit easier for a PGA Championship than they are for the others. However, that course is absolutely absurd. And for three days, Kepka was just he was playing a different course than everybody else. He was dismantling the hardest course in the country, or one of the hardest courses in the country, just dismantling it, just making it look stupid. Uh, got out to a seven-shot lead after three days. Just absurd golf. It's not anything that nobody would saw coming. Everybody knew he was going to win. It's just like. 
how everything was when Tiger was at the top of his game. Everybody went into the week knowing who was going to win. Everybody's going into, not every week, but everybody's going into the majors knowing who's going to win. It's unbelievable. Um, and this guy is not getting the respect across the, what well, the, the players respect him. He's not getting the respect across the media as he deserves. It's, it's pretty baffling to see what the media and what uh, some of the announcers, what some of the golf so-called experts in air quotes are saying about him. And he's just performing and winning and winning and winning. And he says that he doesn't care about the other events, the, you know, the everyday, every week event on tour. He doesn't really put as much effort into it, which is evident because he's not winning them. And when he gets, when he steps on the first tee at a major, it's just he goes into a different zone, which Tiger Woods did, which Jack Nicholas did. The difference between those two and Brooks is they did it every single week. Jack Nick, Jack won 72, 73 times. Tiger's won 81 times now. Uh, Brooks Koepka has won six times total with four majors. So he's only won two tournaments that weren't majors. He doesn't put the same effort into those as he put in, as he does with the major championships which, whatever, I don't care. I, those are the ones that I get most amped for to watch, and I'm sure all the players get most amped for to play. He's just the one that can actually treat it differently than the other weeks, and it's it's absolutely unbelievable. Just a little, just I just want to get into a little bit of backstory. I got this on my chest. I have not a whole lot of friends that watch golf, so I need to express myself and, and just talk about this dominance that he's put forth over the last four years and the last two years that he's been winning them but the last four years really is he's been just destroying the majors he's played 22 as a pro okay and the first two he missed the cut in 2000 the 2012 u.s open and the 2013 open championship missed the cut in both of those those were his first two majors he ever played okay so since then he's played in 20 majors since the since 2013 He's played in 20, missing a couple due to injury. Hasn't missed a cut yet. So he's 20 for 20 in the last three and a half, five years. Since then, he's come in the top 25, 16 of those 20 tournaments. 16 of them. That's 80%, and 15 of those was in the top 20. So And the other one was 21. So really, he's come in the top 21 16 times. Top 20 15 times. 75% of the tournaments he's playing, the 75% of the majors he's playing, those are the hardest tournaments of the year everybody plays those you're getting the top 100 in the world every time he's he's coming in the top 20 75 every four tournaments he plays he's in the top 15 or top 20 three times it's absurd it, that doesn't happen these days um these guys don't play with the same level of of dominance that you know tiger did when he was making cut every week he went on a 200 something tournament streak without missing a cut that doesn't happen nowadays brooks kepka is doing it and the majors keep that you know, in the back of your mind. He's not doing this in regular terms. This is the majors, which really is all that matters. It's what you're defined by when, you know, you're done with the game of golf and you're deciding who's going into the Hall of Fame. You're being decided by how many majors you win. Brooks Kepka has six wins on tour right now. If he retired today, he's going in the Hall of Fame the next day. It's done deal. He's now going to go down as one of the best who ever played. And, you know, three years ago, four years ago, nobody even knew who he was. And it's it's unbelievable how he catapulted himself and still nobody's giving him He's won four majors now and nobody's giving him respect in the media. It's ridiculous. Anyway, since in those 20 tournaments, he has 15 top 20s, 10, 10 top 10s. So every other tournament he plays in a major, he's coming in the top 10, which is stupid. I mean, that's, that's unheard of outside of Tiger and Jack. And eight top fives, four wins. And those four wins, mind you, are in the last eight. So just to give you an idea, since 
the two missed cuts and the first major he made the cut, he tied for 70th. Okay. Since then, he's come in T4, T67, T15, T33. Okay, those are basically his worst ones. Since that 2015 U.S. Open where he broke the top 20, he went T18, T10, T5, T21, T13, T4, T11, 1, T6, T13, 1, T39, 1, 2, 1. I mean, what can you say about this? It's This is... Unreal, and what's crazy about it is he's going into he's going into the tournaments not as not being considered a favorite amongst the players. He's never considered a favorite amongst the media. He's never considered a favorite amongst the betters, which is unbelievable to me. And he's just using that as fuel and just taking it out on everybody around him, taking it out on the golf course, taking it out on the field. It's amazing to watch. It's just as fun to watch as it is to watch the Yankees right now. And he's doing it just dismantling the best players in the world, dismantling the best courses in the world. And he and he's doing it with an arrogance that, I got to be honest, I love. I love that in the game. Golf is an individual sport. You don't need to rely on teammates to help you through. I mean, you got a caddy, but and caddies are important, don't get me wrong. But it's not like a baseball team where you got... I mean, if you're a shortstop, you're. I mean, you might be responsible for maybe six outs over the course of a 27-out game. That's it, and you got to rely on the rest of your team to do their job for you to win. When you're on a golf course, it's you, you, and you, and that's that's all it is. So that cockiness, that arrogance, I like that. You need that. You'll see the guys that don't have that. Those are the guys that don't win. Okay, those are the guys that are. They they're good, but they're not great. They don't. It, they don't expand to the level of greatness that the guys... I'm going to keep harping back on Tiger because that's my guy. But the the cockiness that he played with, the arrogance that he played with, is what made everybody so terrified of him. Because he told you, he would go up to your face say, I am better than you. I will beat the living shit out of you. Then he would go on the tee box and beat the living shit out of you for four hours. Every single week. If you listen to interviews from guys that played in that era, they would say we would step on, and these are guys that also have some arrogance. I mean, they played their entire lives as, you know, one of the best golfers at the at the time. Like They probably dominated through junior golf, dominated through high school, college. You know, if they played on a mini tour prior to getting the PGA Tour, sure, they dominated there. Probably won a couple majors. You got guys like Ernie Els. You got guys got like Phil who is one of the best players that have ever played this game. You got guys like uh, Ratif Goosen, like Vijay Singh. These are guys that won on the PGA Tour, that won majors, and would go to the course knowing that they are playing for second place. They would know that they do not have a chance to beat him, to beat Tiger. They know that, and Tiger knew that, and he would just beat the fuck out of him for four hours every day, and that's the way it was. Brooks Koepka's doing the same thing. Um, Luke List, who is not really one of the big names of golf he's won once um he said granted he said it after two days which Kepka got out to a commanding lead but he said we're all out here playing for second place I mean it is what it is we know that this weekend is we're trying to get that 1.2 million you get for second place because you're not going to get the 1.8 million that you get to win because we're not going to win it's just not going to happen he did make it a little bit close he got a little shaky there on the back nine but that back nine shows you why he's a champion because he was able to put that stress aside, bottle everything in, 
take care of business, go out and win, and he made the putt when he needed to. He made the shots when he needed to. He hits a shaky drive on 18. All he needed to do was make bogey. You missed the fairway on this golf course. Bogey is going to be a good score. It, making double is not out of the possibility, even for the best players in the world. He hit his drive in the high shit, punched it out to the fairway, and that green is tough to hit. It's very elevated. It's probably 30 yards above uh, the, the fairway. So they're basically hitting the ball to a blind spot. They can't see the green. They can't see the hole. They can see the top of the flag stick. That's it. You can't see the landing spot. And for those that play golf, you understand how difficult that is to hit a ball to a spot that you cannot see. It's very hard. And he did it um, under the most pressure because he was the only one playing with pressure on that uh, in the final round. Everybody else was playing on free money. It, it, if you came back and won, then you're, that would be labeled as one of the greatest performances in golf. If he lost, that would be one of the most devastating choke jobs that golf has ever seen. A seven-shot lead, and virtually he would have lost it with eight holes left because that was when it started, on, it started unraveling on number 11. He was the one playing with the pressure because he could not lose. If he lost, there's guys that have lost leads like that that have never made it back. They've never recovered from it. And he was able to figure his shit out, get his shit together, and go win the golf tournament. He did that. And he needs to be revered for what he's doing. He needs to be credited for what he's doing. And it's if you're a fan of golf, I don't I don't care if you get annoyed because of his kind of arrogance. His arrogance is a product of the media. I don't think he was an arrogant person coming up. I think he became arrogant because he started to win. And he started to win the biggest events. And he's winning them repeatedly. And he's still not getting any credit. And if I was him, I would be arrogant too. I would be annoyed and cocky and angry too. So credit to him because he's using that as fuel rather than using that and putting it towards anger and blowing up like you know someone like John Rahm does who can't get out of his own way. Brooks Kepka is using that as fuel and it's working for him. So to be honest with you, I don't want him to stop. I don't want the media to like him because then he might stop winning. It's fun to watch. I like watching dominance. I know everybody likes to root for the underdog. I am not that person. I don't ever want to root for the underdog. I want dominance. I want greatness. I like dynasties. That's why I do not hate the Patriots. I do not hate these teams that go on dominant runs. I don't hate Alabama football. I don't hate the Patriots. Obviously, I'm a Yankee fan, so I don't hate them. I hate the Red Sox for a different reason, not because they're a dynasty. I hate them because they're the fucking Red Sox, but I don't hate that. I like to watch that. I want every time the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, I want them to win. Unless they're playing the Giants, I want them to win because I, I like that. I think it's much more fun to root for greatness and watch dynasties and have these conversations about the best players in history, the best teams in history across different sports, across you know, the same sport across different eras. I think that's fun. That's what makes sports sports, and that's why that's why we watch, to be quite honest. So I just wanted to talk about that. I, golf is very near and dear to my heart, so this week was very big. Uh, it's very fun to watch. I, 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 I can't believe what this guy's doing, and I, I really hope it continues. Unless the only guy that I would want to beat him would be Tiger, who is my guy. That's my favorite athlete in the history of all of sports. And Jordan Spieth is, you know, a guy that I've always rooted for. I played with, not in a group with him, but I played in a couple tournaments with him. And I've just kind of been a fan of his since he was probably 16, 17 years old. And he's one of the guys that I'm going to, outside of Tiger, he's my next guy that I root for in golf. Golf is different from other sports. I do have a few different players that I root for to win. It's not like baseball where I'm rooting for one team. 
or football where I'm rooting for one team. I have a few golfers that I like. I have one that's above all. It's, it's kind of a hierarchy that goes down. I want Tiger to win. If he doesn't win, I want it to be Jordan Spieth. If he doesn't win, I want it to be Rory McIlroy. Right now, Rory and Brooks are kind of even. I like watching them both. So that's that. That's my take on Kepka. I think it's unbelievable what he's doing, and I think he's he is now going to go down as one of the best players in history. He's the first player to win back-to-back U.S. Opens and back-to-back PGA Championships, and the first player to hold back-to-back titles at two different majors at the same time which is impressive these are things generally speaking when you see people break records or come close to records or tie records it's usually tiger that they're breaking tiger pretty much holds every record in the book and this is a record that tiger never even had never did he never accomplished this feat this is something that has never been done no one's ever won two different majors back-to-back times in the same two years basically he's 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 the back-to-back defending champion of the U.S. Open and the back-to-back defending champion of the PGA Championship, and it's impressive, and he should have won the Masters. Let's be honest. I'm a Tiger guy. I'm really, really happy that Tiger won the Masters, but Kepka should have won that tournament. He outplayed everybody. He hit a ball in the water on 12, and he missed two pretty easy putts on 17 and 18 that I guarantee he would tell you that he should have made both. And, you know, those shots, he probably wins that tournament by three. It is what it is. I'm a Tiger guy, so I'm glad he didn't win, but he should have. He should be sitting on five majors right now. But So that's that. All right, well, let's get into the episode. Let's get into the Yankees. So last week I misspoke uh, when I was talking about the week ahead. I said that the Yankees had three games against the Orioles, the doubleheader on Tuesday or Wednesday, and then a game on Thursday leading into three games against Tampa. They actually Thursday was actually an off day. Uh, so they played the doubleheader on Wednesday, so just the two games against Baltimore. And then in the weekend, they went to, or Tampa came to Yankee Stadium and they played three. So they played five games this week, and they went four and one. Very good. After the five and two week before, I said I want four and two this week. I wanted to take uh, two of three from Baltimore and two of three from Tampa. They did one better. They took two of two from Baltimore and two of three from Tampa. And they are now in first place. Let's give a quick shout out to the first place Yankees. The fucking first place Yankees. All right, it is May 20th right now, I think. May 20th, and they are in first place. They are missing, I can repeat this over again because I know I've done it in the past. They are missing Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Didi Gregorius, uh, Luis Severino, James Paxton, Dylan Patances, uh, Miguel Andujar again. They're missing all these guys, and they are in first place in May tw- on May 20th. It's unbelievable. Give, I don't care if you're a Yankee fan or not, give them props because it's really fucking impressive what they're doing. Other teams would be blowing up at the, the amount of injuries that the Yankees have. The other teams would not be able to sustain this. The level of depth that this team has and they're displaying every night is unbelievable. If Brian Cashman doesn't win GM of the year, I don't, I don't know what he would need to do in order to get that award. Because he has put together a 40-man team that is really, really good from top to bottom. I mean, there's really no weaknesses. The weakness is Jay Happ. And I said that before. I was livid when they signed him. Didn't like him. Wasn't happy when they got him last year at the trade deadline. He ended up pitching pretty well down the stretch, which good for him. But I didn't want them to re-sign him. I thought it was a desperation move after missing out on Patrick Corbin. But he's basically the only missing link on this team, the only bad link on this team. And 
they're winning despite him. Even when he starts, even when he lets up six runs in three innings that he did tonight, uh, the night I'm recording, which we'll actually talk about this game in next week's episode as it's Monday's game. Uh, we talk Monday to Sunday. But in tonight's game against the Orioles, who, let's be honest, are one of the worst teams in the game. They're terrible from top to bottom. They got an awful pitching staff. They got a, Their lineup is okay. It's not anything to write home about, but they're not you know, dreadful. I mean, they can hit the ball. But it's a team that if you are struggling as a pitcher, this is the team you want to face because you should be able to get off the snide, and he's getting worse. He went three innings and allowed six runs. I mean, put them in a six-to-one hole. So it's he's if you're going to write off one player on this 40-man roster that would be better off somewhere else, it's J-Hat. But the other 39 guys they got are unbelievable, and it's amazing what they're doing. They swept the doubleheader against the Orioles. Okay, Glaber Torres, who has been quietly streaking, he's he uh, extended his hit streak to nine games tonight, um, but it hasn't been anything flashy. It's just been, you know, one for fours, two for fives, like nothing great. I mean, he's quietly hitting 290. He's been very, very good, but he's not flashy. He's only got 20 RBIs, eight home runs um, leading into tonight. And he's not doing anything outstanding. He's just playing solid baseball. Well, in that doubleheader, he hit three bombs in two games. And basically, he's taken apart Baltimore pitching this year. He has now had 18, or eight, eight home runs against the Orioles this season. And I think this was the ninth game. Nine games, eight home runs. That's absurd. That's absolutely absurd. And I don't know what it is. He has 10 home runs on the season. 10 total home runs this year, he has 8 against one team, and it's only the middle of May. So what, whatever he sees when he's facing the Orioles, it's, if he can put that together and against the other teams, then he's going to win an MVP because he's dismantling this team. Definitely the MVP of that day. Uh, played 18 innings and hit 3 bombs, and just the, they were all solo. That's the problem. That's the only downside, but that's nothing he can control. All of, he's had he's hit 10 home runs, and I believe 7 of them have been solo. That's why you see 10 home runs, he's only got 22 RBIs. He's not getting the opportunity to drive in runs when he hits bombs, but that's not his fault. That's up to the people in front of him to get on base. They're not getting on base. There's nothing he can do about that. He's hitting home runs. He's doing his job, and he's just not getting the, the fortune of having runners on base when he does it. So, but it is what it is. He's, he's, he carried the team that day and he's been carrying them against the Orioles, which is nice because as I've said before, the Yankees have always had issues against the Orioles. I don't know what it is. I don't know what their coaching staff knows about the Yankees or if they have ex-Yankees on their coaching staff that can, I don't know, dissect scouting reports and take apart pitchers and, and baffle hitters or something. But no matter how bad the Orioles are and how good the Yankees are, the Yankees always have trouble with them. That's not the case this year. Leading into today, they're 6-2 and two against the Orioles and basically making up for what they did last year and basically splitting the series with them. And really, that cost them the division. And it didn't end up hurting them in the long run because they got through the wild card game and got into the first round of the playoffs anyway. But that series against the the 19 game series you play against each division opponent the 19 games against the Orioles they virtually split i believe they went 10 and 9 and the Red Sox are destroying the the bad teams or they were last year they were just plowing through all the bad teams they were sweeping every team that they were supposed to sweep the Yankees were not doing that and the way the playoffs are set up now with the one game playing game the wild card game you you want to win, winning the division is much more important than it used to be. It used to be you you win the division great if you get the wild card it, it's really just as good, 
nowadays you get the wild card, it is not just as good because that is a stressful ass game. And the Yankees are fortunate to have won it two years in a row to get through. But I'm I'm tired of the fucking wild card game. I want to win a division and go into the end of the season knowing that we're gonna have a five game series. I'm I'm sick of this fucking wild card game. So I want the Yankees to take care of business when they play these bad teams, and they're doing it right now. The problem is when the big guys come back, when Aaron Judge gets back, when Stanton gets back, when uh, Didi gets back, when these guys come back, there's a lot of pressure on them because we are winning without them. And we know that they are better than the counterparts that are playing right now. We know that they're better than them. The problem is these guys right now are winning. Whatever they're doing, whatever they're... A downside is to their game they're putting it away right now and they are playing well and they are winning so when these guys come back if they come back cold or they come back and you know they're gonna have some rust obviously they haven't played most of them haven't played all year they're gonna have some rust and there's there's gonna be a lot of pressure on them because they got to come in and they just got to start winning like there's not gonna be a grace period where you got you know a week or two to figure shit out get it together you go you know four and eight in a two-week stretch and the the fan base the entire city of New York is going to be clamoring for these these replacements back because the replacements are winning. Glaber Torres needs to lead that charge. Gary Sanchez needs the guys that are playing right now. They need to keep playing well, so when the new guys come, they do have a little bit of a an opportunity to to shake the rust off. Let Gary Sanchez carry you for a couple of games. Let Glaber Torres carry you for a couple of games. Let DJ Lemayhew carry you for a couple of games while Aaron Judge or Stanton or these guys get their feet underneath them and they can get back into the flow of baseball because they haven't been in that flow. They haven't been in that rhythm that they're usually in by the middle of May. They haven't, they're basically going to come back and it's going to be spring training. They're going to have to get used to live pitching. They're going to have to get used to 98 mile an hour fastballs because they're probably not seeing that when they're going on their rehab assignments to single A. Most single A pitchers don't hit 100. A lot of major league pitchers are hitting 100 nowadays. So there's going to be a little period where they're going to be shaking rust off and they but the problem is they cannot lose when they're doing that because the replacements are winning so like i said they got they have to keep this going or they got to start slumping ahead of time before the new guys or before the the guy the stars come back or else it's going to look bad and the the superstars are going to be questioned they're going to be criticized ridiculed whatever you want to say they're going to be booed they're going to be, you know, everything you can imagine from a New York sports fan, which is a lot. Um, they're going to hear it, so we'll see what happens when they get back. All right, so now let's get into the actual games that they played this week. Like I said, they went 4-1, and one, took 2 of 2 in a doubleheader from the Orioles, took 2 of 3 from the Rays, and overtook the Rays for first place in the division. Very impressive. They took the division lead on Friday, ended up losing the game on Saturday to fall a half game back again, and then one on Sunday to pull back ahead a half game as Tampa Bay left and the Yankees headed down to Baltimore for a four-game set to start next week. In those games, uh, the doubleheader against the Orioles, not much happened. Like I said, uh, Gliber Torres had three bombs, but there wasn't a whole lot of suspense. Uh, the games weren't in question. Uh, the Yankees were in control pretty much from the first inning to the last inning and basically took those two games with ease. Then they go to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay series was a tough series. This was a tougher series than the series last weekend. Friday's game, they were outplayed. As I've said in many other instances this year, the Yankees won a game that they really shouldn't have won. Uh, they were losing for most of the game. They were being outplayed. They were outpitched. They were outhit. They were down. Um, it was tied 1-1 for a while. Chad Green 
came in for his first game back after being called up, and he got hit pretty hard, let up two runs, so they were down 3-1. Then the rain came, so we had a rain delay for roughly, I don't know, an hour to an hour and a half in the eighth inning. We got through that, uh, came back, and played, which I was nervous that they were going to call the game and we were going to lose 3-1 without really a chance to tie it. But that wasn't the case. They, the rain stopped. They got the game going. Uh, got the tarp off. Everything was good. So they entered the ninth inning down 3-1. Like most other games, when they're down and it's fairly close, I'm almost not even worried. I almost expect them to win. I'm almost more upset or more surprised when they actually lose those games. If they're going into the ninth inning down 7-1, that's different. If they're going into the seventh inning 7-1, I still haven't lost hope yet. It's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. But they were down 3-1 in the ninth, and they bring in Jose Alvarado, who is the race closer, left-handed flamethrower, hits 100. Um, he's not that he doesn't have that much command. He's a little bit wild, but it's almost like he's effectively wild. He gets a lot of strikeouts, and it, it makes for a very uncomfortable at bat because you know he's throwing 100, and you're not entirely sure where it's going. So it's, it's uncomfortable enough to where it keeps the hitters off balance, and he's pretty successful. And he has been very, very good this year. However, he comes in, first batter, Luke Voigt hits a bomb. All right, 3-2. At this point, I'm like, they're winning this game. That's it. I, they're not going to – he's not just going to come and hit a home run, and then he's going to go 1-2-3 after that, and it's over. That's not happening. And, yep, like I pictured, uh, the next hitter gets on base. Um, Glaber Torres comes up. Has an absolutely incredible at bat. Absolutely incredible. He, I believe it was 10 or 11 pitches. He was fouling balls off, taking pitches, um, taking close pitches. It was an impressive at bat. Comes down to a, he hits a very, very hard hit line drive to left field. Hits the top of the wall and comes back in. Hits the top of the wall and comes back in the left. So that tied the game. However, it left him on second base as the winning run. And... I thought it was a walk-off home run. I'm sure everybody in the stadium thought it was a walk-off home run. Somehow it stayed in. However, Mr. Clutch, Mr. I'm the God-sent third baseman that God placed in our laps before the season, Gio Urshela, came up with the outfield playing relatively in to cut off anything to you know force a play at the plate to keep the game tied. However, he hit a line drive to right center, right over the center fielder's head, ball game. And one of those games that they shouldn't have won that they were basically outplayed for eight and a half innings they managed to win it's i don't i don't know how else to explain it it's absolutely unbelievable i i don't have any other adjectives for it it's something that we haven't been able to experience for a while um this type of resiliency this type of perseverance this type of grit from a yankee team usually the yankee teams of the last decade have been old almost has-beens that you know had MVP type years five years prior to the Yankees getting them, and there wasn't a whole lot of fight left in them. They had already accomplished everything they wanted to accomplish in baseball. They were just kind of here collecting paychecks, and there was no fight. There was no there was there wasn't a whole lot to get excited for. When they're down three two in the ninth, you knew they're going to lose. This team is making me feel so much differently about baseball. Not that I didn't like baseball before, but it. This is bringing out a whole new excitement for me, and I, I'm loving it. Every game, I think they're going to win, and it's almost like every game they are winning. I mean, they're like 23-8 and eight since the first week of April. Like, it's just an absurd run that they're on with guys that nobody was expecting to even play, let alone play this well and win. 
at this point. They're, they're in the middle of the main and they're in first place. I don't know how to say it any other way. It's amazing. And then on the other side of things, we get into Saturday's game. Saturday's game, after taking over first place, it would have been nice to have won. Saturday's game, giving them a game and a half lead. And then regardless of what happened Sunday, not saying that you don't want to win Sunday's game after that, but regardless of what happened Sunday, you know you're leaving the weekend and leaving the Bronx in first place. Okay, so there, it's the rematch. Masahiro Tanaka versus Blake Snell. The rematch from the previous weekend that Tanaka outdueled him and won the game. Tanaka was doing his thing again. Um, was throwing a shutout, got through six innings. Snell was pitching well also. He had only allowed one run. It was a one nothing game. Tanaka gets hit in the ankle on a comebacker up the middle, which actually saved the lead because that was a base hit in the center field, and there was a runner on second, which would have scored to tie the game. However, it hit off his ankle, ricocheted right to Luke Voigt at first base, uh, unassisted out at first, inning over with a one nothing lead, but Tanaka leads the game. Tanaka goes right down into the training room. They send him to get x-rays. X-rays were negative. However, he's out for this game. So he was rolling. His pitch count was under control. Everything was under control. He was just plowing through this lineup. And they bring in Tommy Canely to relieve him in the seventh after the injury. And second pitch, bomb, Brandon Lau. And tie ball game. Which doesn't seem like much, but it's a, it's a bomb that I'm almost certain that Tanaka would not have allowed. And I think that Tanaka, if he would have stayed in this game, I think he would have gone at least eight innings, possibly threatened for a, a complete game, and would have basically handed the ball directly to Chapman to get the save, or more likely somebody else because Chapman pitched both games in a doubleheader. But they did have a game off in the middle, so maybe he was available, I'm not sure. It would have handed the ball directly to Chapman, which they weren't able to do. Uh, due to, uh, it's out of Tanaka's control. I mean, that ball, it wasn't like he put his foot out in the way. That ball was a rocket back at him. So it just happened to be right where his foot lands when he finishes his delivery. It hit him, and it's unfortunate. He should be okay. If you guys watched the rapid reaction video, I had a reaction to his injury and kind of an update on what, what the Yankees were saying about it. Go ahead over to patreon.com slash pinstripes to check that out. As far as the game goes, that, that changed the entire momentum. Um, that play, they got Tanaka out, which usually when you're struggling against a starter, the biggest thing to do is start working counts so you can drive the pitch count up and get him out of the game. This way, they were able to get him out of the game without having to worry about any of that. And like I said, leadoff man, second pitch, bomb, tie game. Which stayed tied for a while. They ended up losing in the 11th inning. It is what it is. It's a game they should have won that they did not, which for all the games that they won that they shouldn't have, I mean, I guess you can give one back, but man, that one hurt just because of the situation, the fact that they had taken over first place the night before and you pretty much gave it right back to them and in a way that they, I'll be honest, I don't think they really deserved it. I think they got lucky that Tanaka got hurt and took advantage of it and, you know, it is what it is. However, we follow that up, we go into Sunday and... In a game on paper that the Yankees almost looked like they were waving the white flag. They went with an opener, which the Yankees don't normally do, which is kind of ironic as the Rays were the ones who kind of um, pioneered that, that game plan into existence. And the even worse than the opener, they used Chad Green as the opener, who has really, really struggled this year. He has been one of the stud middle relievers in the bullpen for the last couple of years. They're, however, this year, I don't know what's going on with him. 
he doesn't even know what's going on and he he can't get it figured out but he's he's really struggling so they wanted to use him for an inning or two and hand the ball over to Luis Sessa which I don't really understand I mean Sessa has starting experience he started before he started this year I don't understand why I don't I don't really get the significance of the opener the same thing with the Rays they when they open they use the opener for an inning or two and then they bring in generally Yanni Chirinos, who is their long relief guy, and he pitches four or five innings. What's the difference between him pitching four or five innings between innings two and six, and pitching five innings between innings one and five? I don't, I don't understand it. But for some reason, the Yankees wanted to do it, and they were going up against Charlie Morton, who the Rays got from, or they signed in free agency, but he was a Astro for the last few years and tormented the Yankees in the playoffs two years ago in that series, and. Uh, it's on paper Chad Green versus Charlie Morton seems like heavily heavily advantage Rays. However, they fought they got out to a quick deficit. They were down 3-2 and then down 5-3 and then we tied at 5-5. We get into the 6th inning. Everything for the Rays unravels. Everything that I've talked about for this team, the fact that they're not winning by hitting bombs, the fact that they're just moving station to station, getting on base, working counts, um, hitting the ball over the field and everything that I've talked about is what happened in that inning they scored seven runs in the sixth inning to bust it open to a 12-5 lead which they ended up winning 13-5 they broke it open 12-5 and they only had they scored seven runs in the inning only had four hits four so they're obviously drawing walks I think there was a hit hits bat hit batsman um, and wild pitches a little bit of every, I mean everything everything you can imagine other than hitting two three-run bombs, which you know the Yankees would do in years past to get six, seven runs. Um, everything that you could imagine happened, happened. And they, they ran 11 guys up to the plate. They were just moving everybody around. One way or another, they were getting on base, and that's kind of the epitome of this team. It's not flashy. It's not sexy. It's not, you know, Sports Center top ten worthy. It's just effective. What they're doing is working. It's their working counts. They're... they're you know, drawing walks, they're getting on base, they're they're running the base pass extremely well. They're tagging up when needed to be tagged, they're holding when they need to hold, they're running from first to third on plays that are questionable because they're actually reading the ball well off the bat when they're on base. It's it's impressive what they're doing and that inning is the epitome of this Yankee season in my opinion. The way they manage to just manufacture runs without doing any real damage. I mean the the biggest damage of the inning was a pinch hit, uh, three-run double by Tyro Estrada. He came in, and ironically enough, he pinch hit for Gio Urshela, who has been the most clutch hitter on this team, which I, I'm still kind of confused why they pinch hit for him. But they pinch hit for Tyro Estrada with the bases loaded, and he ripped a double down the left field line and emptied the bases, which that was the big hit. Other than that, it was just, you know, they were just kind of knick-knacking their way around the bases and ended up scoring seven runs. And that's... Like I said, in my opinion, that's the epitome of this team this year. That's how they're winning, and that way of winning baseball games is way more effective than relying on a home run ball, which is why I think this team is going to be so dangerous, as dangerous as any Yankees team in the past because of the way they're winning. They're winning by just playing good baseball. They're not doing what they used to do is just hit home runs, and that would kind of overshadow the underlying issues that the team had the high strikeouts the low average the bad defense the the slow runners on base the bad base running 
they don't have that anymore. Now everything is good. Everything is good. They're they're hitting, they're running, they're fielding, they're just doing it all, and they're winning. They're beating teams that they need to beat. They're beating teams that are equal to them. And, I mean, they haven't played. They've played the Red Sox once. They haven't played the Astros yet. There's teams that are going to be challenge, challenging for them that they haven't played yet. However, I mean, you can only play who's on the schedule. And they're taking care of business, and this is the reason why. <laughs> Do you play fantasy sports? Of course you do. Do you like fantasy drafts? Of course you do. Do you like winning money every single day? Of course you do. Well, draft.com checks all the boxes. They give you everything. They give you daily snake drafts. They give you that DFS fix without giving up the, the enjoyment of the draft. We don't have to fill out a team based on a salary cap that you're going to have the same team as everybody else. You're not going to have that. You're drafting with a group of people where everybody's going to have a different team. And the pots are a little bit smaller, but it's much easier to win, and it's it's much more enjoyable. And if you sign up now using promo code NERDS, N-E-R-D-Z, at checkout, you're going to get free entry to a $3 contest after your first deposit, which you can use to enter in any sport at any time. And I'm telling you, I play, play a game and draft every single day, and it's it's so much fun. The, the drafting is obviously the best part of all fantasy sports, and you get that every single day. A brand new day, brand new draft, brand new people, and it's, it's really easy to win money, and I'm telling you, it's so much fun. So sign up today, draft.com slash nerds, N-E-R-D-Z. Get your DFX and fix now, and keep the draft. All right, so I'm going to switch it up a little bit this week. Before I get into the studs of the week to end this show, I'm going to split the two Yankee segments with a Giants right in the middle. I only got one thing involving the Giants that I want to talk about today, and it makes me absolutely livid because it involves a player that I I genuinely hate. And the Odell Beckham Jr. trade was was devastating to all Giants fans. Nobody you may have saw it have seen it coming because of the rumors, but nobody really believed the rumors. Everybody thought he was gonna stay, especially after he signed the long term deal. The trade was surprising to everybody. If you haven't heard, in the last couple days, Tiki Barber uh, came out and said he thinks it's a good idea, a good trade that the Giants made to send Odell Beckham Jr. to Cleveland. He thought he was a cancer in the locker room, thought he was not reaching his potential due to either offensive play calling or just that he was just getting in his own way. And I think that is just absolutely rich coming from him. I... Don't know if I speak for all Giants fans, but I know I speak for most of my friends that are Giants fans, my family that are Giants fans. We absolutely fucking hate Tiki Barber. And the things that he said when he was leaving the league, which were basically saying that the Giants would never win a Super Bowl with Eli Manning. The ironic part of that is he retired in 2006. If you guys can do some math and figure out when the Giants won their first Super Bowl, it was in 2007. So, you know what? Tiki, fuck you. So how's your 2007 Super Bowl ring, huh? Huh? Yeah, you don't have one. Well, it's funny because now you were one of the greatest players in Giants history, and now everybody hates you. All the Giants fans hate you. Nobody has Tiki Barber jerseys anymore. Everybody turned their 21 jerseys into Landon Collins jerseys, which we're going to have to figure out something else to do with those now, which really sucks. But nobody respects anything that Tiki Barber says 
regarding the Giants. He he's almost not in good standing, good enough standing to even comment on the team. But he continues to do it. He did it last year when the Giants actually signed or uh, offered the contract to Beckham that he signed. He said that he didn't think it was a good idea to give him a monster contract. Well, the problem is somebody would because he is that good of a talent. Somebody was going to pay him. I don't un, I don't know if Tiki doesn't realize how the market value works and you're going to be paid what your market value you know, represents. And if you're not going to pay that player, somebody else will. Same thing goes for baseball. Same thing goes for basketball. Every player has their value and somebody is going to pay it. The Giants wanted to keep that player, so they paid it. And let's be honest, he's definitely worthy of that contract if you just look at his numbers. You can say that he's a little weird off the field and he's a little you know, crazy on the sidelines. That's fine. What he does on the field in between the lines is produce. And he earned that contract. And Tiki just, I don't I, I hate him so much. It, 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 it infuriates me to listen to him speak. When he's calling a game that the Giants are watching, I literally mute the TV because I cannot listen to him. And I will just watch the TV. I will watch the game in complete silence because I can virtually commentate myself. I can figure out what's going on. I don't, I don't need Tiki Barber to tell me what's going on. And his, his voice just, oh, it aggravates me. And I feel bad for Rondé Barber because they have the same voice and I can't listen to him speak either because it's the same thing. I just, I know it's not Tiki, but just looking at them, they're, they're fucking identical. They sound the same. So I, they're just a package deal that I just can't even listen to. And when he... I don't even know why he's still talking. You haven't been a Giant in 15 years. So, and and none of the Giants fans care. So why are you still commenting on it and saying that it's a good thing they traded him? Okay, so why? Because you're terrified that he's just going to shatter all of your records. He doesn't even play the same position as you, and he's just going to make your career look absolutely stupid. And you came out saying that Saquon Barkley, if he stays a Giants, he's going to shatter your record. See, of course he is. Your records aren't that impressive. You're not... I mean, you were pretty good. You weren't great. You weren't ever the greatest in the league. You weren't ever the best at your position. Odell Beckham has an argument to be made that he is the best at his position. Saquon Barkley has an argument to be made that he is the best at his position. So you're not really comparing apples to apples, first of all. Second of all, you're not really highly regarded in this organization. Nobody cares about you. Why are you still talking? Why are you talking about the Why are you commenting on this team? Why do you care what they're doing? Why do you care who they're drafting? I, the the funny thing is, is Plaxico Burris is someone that is highly regarded, and he went on a DC Sports Radio show here today that I listened to, and basically said the Giants made a mistake in drafting Daniel Jones, and told the Redskins media outlet that I listened to, uh, told them that they got the best player in the draft with Dwayne Haskins. the The jury's out on that, and I don't like that he's saying that. I understand you're not on the team anymore, and you're not, you know, in you're not on the payroll for the Giants, so you're, you know, free to say whatever you want. But you're beloved in New York and and among the fan base of all Giants fans for what you did in Super Bowl forty two and helping the team win a Super Bowl and, and their responsibilities come with that. You need to understand that the things you say and the things you do need to reflect the Giants organization in some way. You're a beloved figure in the big blue community and you need to respect that and and take that into account when you're answering questions like this. 
As far as Tiki goes, Tiki can shut the fuck up. I mean, he is more than welcome to say whatever he wants. He is not a beloved figure in this community, and nobody really respects the things he says as far as Giants fans go, so you can say whatever you want, but kind of as the old saying goes, shut the fuck up and keep our name out your mouth. All right, as we get into the final segment of the show, uh, we're going to get into the Big Blue Pinstripes Game Balls for the Studs of the Week. Um, I got three again this week, just like we had last week. So the first BBP Game Ball is going to go to... Glaber Torres, as we spoke earlier in the show, um, he pretty much single-handedly defeated the Orioles in the doubleheader on Wednesday, um, hit three bombs in that game, and overall, he's just had a solid week. He's gone, we played five games, he went seven for 20, which correlates to a 350 average, uh, hit three home runs, had four RBIs. Uh, he plays excellent defense across the middle of the infield. He plays both second and short, and he's been that cog in the middle of the lineup along with, you know, Luke Voigt and really just DJ LeMahieu of just the, the three guys that have been here all year. And I guess Brett Gardner, but Brett Gardner's not good, so he doesn't really matter. The three of those guys have really been the the three that they've counted on from day one. And Gleyber Torres has been, as I said, he's he's got a sneaky, sneaky good game about him. He's not flashy. It's not sexy. He's not, you know, Mike Trout. He's not Christian Yelich, but he, he gets the job done. He's a very, very good hitter. He's a little aggressive, a little too aggressive at the plate for my liking. I'm kind of sick and tired of watching him get into 0-2 counts because he always swings at the first pitch, but I mean, he's hitting damn near 300 and he's always on pace. So whatever he's doing, I guess he's doing it well. So keep doing it. I'm not, obviously I'm not an expert. I'm just a fan that, you know, watches every night. So don't, don't change your game plan for what I'm saying, but I would prefer more 1-1 counts, 2-0 counts to the 0-2 count you seem to be in every night, Glaber. But you, you're one of my favorite guys on this team, so keep doing you. And obviously it's working because you are leading this team to wins every week, every day. For the most part, they're winning every day. And he's you know always in that, pretty much in that five hole every night. So he's he's doing his, his job to help this team win and, and keep this team not only afloat, but keep them thriving as they're awaiting the return of some of the superstars that are are on the injured list so labor torres is getting the first game ball for the second bbp game ball that one's going to go to araldis trapman he had three appearances this week and what stood out to me the most is he pitched both games in the doubleheader against the orioles got the save in both of those games which is pretty impressive um generally speaking closers don't pitch more than one inning Chapman occasionally comes on for four or five outs, but usually not for six outs and spanning across two different games to where he's basically warming up, pitching, sitting for five hours, and then warming up and pitching again. That's not really something that closers do, so I'm going to give him credit for that because that was a pretty impressive performance. He also came in and pitched in the the Saturday game against the Rays in which the Yankees lost. Uh, he pitched. Uh, an inning of work there got no no saver or no decision or anything just was trying to give the Yankees a chance to keep the game tied so they can try to walk it off in the bottom of the ninth inning which they failed to do but he did his job he had a clean inning and gave the Yankees a chance to walk it off they didn't do that but that wasn't because of him over the course of the week he he appeared three times in five games uh, had three innings only one hit six strikeouts no walks and and converted two saves and he's really really gotten his shit together he was a little shaky to start the year not not too bad uh just a little bit more wild than we're used to seeing he he didn't really have great control of the fastball for the first 
I don't know, a couple weeks of the season. But he's gotten that together, and he's become deadly. Um, that that the velocity question is not being asked anymore. He's getting the ball back up to 100, and he's you know commanding both sides of the plate, and then dropping that wipeout slider that makes hitters look foolish because they're expecting 100, and they're getting an 86 mile an hour just sweeping curveball. When when he's on, it's pretty fun to watch because it's overpowering and. Not only is he just a hard thrower, he's also just a good pitcher. He knows how to move the ball to both sides of the plate, and he knows how to work in that that slider that is really devastating when he's when he's hitting his spot. So he's got it got it together, and he's pitching really well. He also came in and pitched in Monday's game, tonight's game, before I recorded this. So he's on a fast track to getting a game ball for next week if he keeps this up. But yeah, so he had a pretty good week, and he definitely helped the Yankees in in taking control of this division this week. So kudos to to you, Mr. Chapman. And the third game ball of the week will go to Luke. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Luke Voigt, um, every time he comes up to the play, gets a big hit, makes a big play. It sounds like the fans are booing him. However, they are not. They are chanting Luke. And the fact that they're doing it in Baltimore is pretty <laughs> pretty awesome. Um, he was. They were doing that today while, while they were playing in Baltimore, which I would have liked to go to because Ballpark's pretty close to me, but that just the the weekday games are not easy to get to. But over the course of this week, he appeared in all five games, went seven of nineteen, which correlates to a three sixty eight average. Also had three walks, so he had an on base percentage of four fifty five, which is awesome. I mean, if you're getting on base every other time, that's that's pretty impressive. That's Mike Trout territory. Um, that's Aaron Judge territory when he's playing well, and it's not very common for an OPP to be that high. Granted, it's only five games, obviously a small sample size, but he's been pretty effective all year in getting on base. One of the leading leading walk guys in the, in the Yankee lineup. So he, he's an on-base guy, and that's what he does. That's what he did this week. He also, out of those seven hits, had three extra bases, two doubles with a bomb, uh, four RBIs, and also scored twice. So just like Torres, he's he, one of those guys that's playing every day and really taking charge in a lineup that has been lacking power and star power. So he's, he's been the guy that has been, the Yankees have been able to count on all year to pretty much give you a good at bat every time he comes to the plate. He plays pretty pretty solid defense. He's not special. He's not Mark Teixeira. He's not even Greg Bird. But he's serviceable enough to where he you can put him at first base every night and not be you know worried about it. He might make an error or two you know, a week, not a week, that's pretty often, but, you know, an error every now and then, he's going to make it. He he actually dropped a, a pop-up today that was pretty embarrassing, but which led to a run on the next next pitch, which sucked, but they ended up winning, so who cares? We'll talk about that next week. But it, he's a guy that they've counted on, and he's performed, and frankly, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't thrilled. Not that I was unhappy about the trade. It was just I, I felt nothing about it, didn't really care. It wasn't on my radar. Luke Voigt was a guy that I've heard of, but obviously the fact that he was bouncing between AAA and St. Louis, he wasn't a guy that was highly regarded. So I wasn't over the moon about this trade. It wasn't anything special. I was happy to send Chasen Shreve away, but didn't really care about getting Luke Voigt coming in. Uh, but he has proved me wrong. Like he said earlier in the year, he doesn't. He knows he can hit, so he doesn't understand why people weren't expecting him to hit and I was one of those people and thank you Luke for proving me wrong because you have been a, a guy that this team has counted on and and is really one of the primary reasons they are where they are and this week it was just the epitome of what he does you know getting on base drawing walks he hit a home run a couple doubles like extra base hits is this guy's forte 
He doesn't get a whole lot of hits to begin with. It's usually home runs or walks. He's, he gets on base. It's just not, he's not a big singles guy. He's a power guy, gap to gap and over the fence. And that's what he did this week. Out of seven hits, three of them were extra base, extra bases, drove in runs, drew walks, got on base, and, you know, just did what he does. That, that's what Luke Voigt does, and that's what he's here for. And we, we put a stamp on on the Luke Voigt Greg Bird competition even when Greg Bird comes back he's not playing that 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 ship has sailed he had his chance over the last three and a half years and he wasn't able to capitalize on that rookie season that he had so Luke Voigt took that job and yeah that job is not no longer for the taking but anyways that's all I have for you guys this week uh before I go I just want to let everybody know that another rapid reaction video has been posted on Patreon uh, so if you get a chance, head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Big Blue Pinstripes. I'm going to be posting them more often now that I kind of got this thing up and running. We're five episodes in now, as well as a couple rapid reacts videos. So those are going to be coming more frequently, which will, you know, give you a reason to want to pay to watch them. Not It's not going to be, you know, one every month which would be a big waste of money. They're going to be coming, you know, a few times a week. Um, anytime something happens, there's a big game, um, uh, any sort of transaction at all, any kind of breaking news for either team, or if something outrageous happens across the league, I'll, I'll get on there. If Mike Trout gets traded, that's the headline news. So I'll, I'll have a comment on that. It doesn't necessarily have to be Yankees and Giants. It'll be 98% Yankees and Giants, but yeah, just... Just so you know, if we if we had started this podcast a couple weeks earlier, I would have had a rapid reaction Tiger Masters victory video, which probably would have been hours long because I can talk about him for weeks without stopping, to be honest with you. I know everything there is to know about that guy. But just 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 a heads up, that's uh that's been posted and there's gonna be a couple more coming and it's gonna be happening pretty often. So so check it out, patreon.com slash big blue pinstripes also give us a follow on twitter we're at bb pinstripes pod uh we post all, all sorts of shit regarding the two teams we we market that's where we post the new videos uh the new episodes everything so give us a follow on twitter again at bb pinstripes pod and we'll see you next week This episode of Big Blue Pinstripes Podcast was brought to you by Draft.com. Everybody that's listening to the show plays fantasy sports, and we all know the draft is the best part. Draft.com gives you the ability to continue doing a snake draft every single day and a chance to win money every single day, and who doesn't want that? We all want to win money, and we all want to do snake drafts because that is the best part about fantasy. That's what we all love. That's why we all get together for draft day, have some beers, have some wings, watch some college football, and draft is the best part. So head on over to draft.com, sign up using promo code NERDS, N-E-R-D-Z, and you'll get free entry to a $3 contest after your first deposit. So head on over, sign up today, and start drafting now.